Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about theater of the mind, as well as how do you get your players to like that new RPG. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over there at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Looks like uh, we got a few people streaming in now. I'm sure they'll all just start piling in and be ready for our Saturday Morning D&D Show. But I bet it's pretty nice out, so I bet some people are out doing yard work. Oh, too. man. It's, like, like beautiful <laughs> where I live, and I need to do all of the yard work. All of it. Uh, it's been so <laughs> rainy. Not that we, this is the weather channel. We're going to talk about the weather, but it's been so rainy that I can't mow the lawn. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think today is the day that I'm going to have to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we are words. We are a Dungeons and Dragons uh, talk show. And we kind of talk about the games that we're playing and the news of D&D. And there isn't a ton of news. So we're probably mm-hmm. going to dive into a lot of our games today. But uh, what news do we have today to talk about? Well, we looked around. Dungeons and Dragons didn't have too much, but I did see one thing that I, I thought was interesting is we've been talking about the Descent. We've been talking about the new um, oh, big live go. event that's coming out. We've been talking about the new book that's about to drop. And the one thing I noticed, we had talked a tiny bit about it last week, were all the new people that were being invited. So we had YouTubers and streamers. But the thing that I thought I would bring up this morning was it seemed like there was a lot of uh, the podcast people. When I went to the podcast list, there was a lot more podcast shows listed than there was, here's the group of people that are the YouTube shows, or here's the group of people that are the stream Mm -hmm. shows, or any of that. And so I thought it was really interesting. It felt like this year they must have decided to make a push on the podcast front um, and really bring in a lot of those people, which I think well, is pretty cool. To, I'm to trying to think. Them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I think they've always really encouraged the podcasting because I'm I'm looking back to uh, it was the one for Tomb of Annihilation in Seattle, mm-hmm. and it was I don't think it had a name other than that was just like the D and D live stream. But they had like the Dragon Friends who are from Australia who came up from Australia to go to Seattle to do that mm-hmm. uh, live show yeah yeah and i love the dragon friends they're awesome mm-hmm. which is interesting that they are back because uh i've been listening a lot to their podcasts and they haven't been playing D for quite a while they've switched mm-hmm. over to other games and currently they're playing a harry potter one page rpg that is just hilarious uh but yeah dragon friends they're really awesome um but a lot of those podcasts are live streams, like the Venture Maidens, and I, don't know, I can't think of any others off the top of my heads. But um, in the past, I don't think we got as many YouTubers. Like, I mean, Matt Colville was just really popular, so they invited him, um, mm-hmm. and they invited like uh, uh, his name is Trump. He's a Hearthstone streamer, but apparently he plays a lot of D and D as well, and he was invited to that. But um, I don't know. I always feel like podcasting is where the majority of the people they brought was. And I thought it was really cool that they've kind of branched out and they and they got some lesser, not lesser known, but um, n- 
it's not about subscriber count. Like we'll invite you to this if you have uh, over a hundred thousand subscribers because they invited people like Ted from Nerd Immersion, who's like been a really good champion of this community. And I'm just really mm. excited that he gets to go with uh, his channel, Nerd Immersion, um, who I think they have like maybe 5,000, 10,000 subscribers. So mm -hmm. yeah, but he's been making D&D content for so long and yeah. doing a lot of Twitch stuff, so. Yeah, one thing I kind of hope they had done because I'm sure they have a little bit of money bags to do this because they're just printing money at this point. Um, <laughs> it seem like when you bring up Ted, they are bringing in Ted from Nerd Immersion, but it's not like his cast from one of his shows. It's Ted, right? Yeah, yeah. Or even some of the other ones, like the Plot Hunters I just noticed or some of the other ones. I think they're sending like a person, but not like the whole crew is getting to go as far as I can tell. Mm. Like some of them are that way, but not all of them are the full cast of those shows. And I really think... Why not just bring in the full cast of one of those shows? So if you can bring in, you know, Ted, bring in one of his games groups, bring them in, bring in the plot hunters, bring in, you know, all these different people. Unless maybe they were offered and people couldn't go. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe there's not that transparency as far as we know who's been invited or who wasn't able to go because of what. I think there was a couple of people that got invited but couldn't go due to scheduling. So mm. I'm sure that happens. Too, yeah, so. yeah. But I think it'd be cool that if you are going to bring in these groups, just bring in that full group. You know, might as well. Bring them in, have them fun. And it felt like Stream of Many Eyes was a very big Twitch push, though. Like, I know you're talking about two, the the Stream of Annihilation mm -hmm. one. I think you're right. But the, the last one they did felt like a real big we're a Twitch kind of thing. And I think they want to make sure they they put the foot forward that we're not just this Twitch. This is not just a Twitch event. This is not just a, this is a live event. This is a Twitch and YouTube event. This is a podcast event. There'll be podcast rooms. Mm -hmm. You know, they're really the whole media gambit is going to, is going to be represented, which I think is cool. It's great that their company's big enough to push that forward and they're willing to do that because we're not seeing a lot of that stuff from the other ones. I mean, there's some other big companies out there like, Monty Cook's big enough to maybe kind of start to attempt something like that. Maybe a Paizo, um, maybe a Cobalt Press. You know, maybe these other ones are starting to get big enough and have a, a big enough stable of products that they could start doing some of the stuff that Wizards does. But Wizards is really good about including its community and stuff and going out and finding the people that are like what they do and promote their stuff and, and work with them. So I think they're doing a really good job. I'm surprised more of the um the big name role play groups out there uh or at least producers or designers aren't doing more of that they do a little bit of it but it just doesn't seem like it's enough <laughs> i feel like they should do a little more so i don't know but we're getting that's going to be in may so we're we're halfway through april now so we're getting close we're probably a month away from um getting to see what that is that's gonna be one i'll probably watch through the whole thing and just see all the cool stuff that's going on which i think is gonna be cool uh, the only other thing I noticed was I, I'm pretty sure it's confirmed that uh, WebDM is sniping our shows now because me and you had a big <laughs> discussion last Saturday about uh, mass battles. And then all of a sudden, WebDM has a mass battle video conspiracy, maybe, I'm thinking. Because they don't plot out, joke. they don't record that's, their shows yeah, months in yeah, advance. All the jokes so. because, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's still a conspiracy. It still could be a, a possibility. So uh, we need the um, uh, I want to believe posters, but yeah. with like WebDM and Saturday morning D&D show on there or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had one idea about that. This idea of if you have a big block of so you make your block of units like you do. So this one has 
60 persons in it or whatever they are. So it's whether it's 60 goblins or 60 human spearmen or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have 60 and 40 and 50. So you let your players, they just automatically hit because they can't miss a block. And all they do is they just roll damage. And however much damage they roll is how many people you take out of that unit. So fireball hits, 47 points of damage, 47 people are removed from that Yeah, yeah. And just let it just, you know, just let it, oh, okay, that's half the unit. They run away and then just go just go full bore with that that kind of idea. I thought that'd be an interesting, fun way just to quickly go through I, that. I did cool. that kind of, well, not not completely the same. I kind of said like each character has a certain amount of health and then I gave them that health. But I did do that mechanic where if they got below half health, it was like mm-hmm. half our guys are gone. Are they going to fight to the death? Or are they going to run away? And I'd make morale checks for them to see if they would yeah. stay or not because I thought that was interesting. And yeah, another cool that's... thing, like Dungeon Call Classics actually has that in the in the mechanics of the game that mm-hmm. if, ha- like, if you have six goblins and three of them die, you are then at the top of the round uh, make a morale check to see if the other three goblins either fight to the death or run away because right. it is just kind of like, well, no, they're outnumbered at that point. They're going to probably try to get out of there. So you yeah. kind of know when you're losing. So, yeah, I think that's a big point that gets missed when anybody talks about the ways they might handle mass combat is I think you definitely have a mechanic for morale. I mean, that's the thing that decides if they stay and they go and when they should stay and when they should go. And it's like a full-time warfare thing that you might not get in the little battles that you get with your adventurers first monsters. Although, mm-hmm. like you said, you could, but definitely in mass battles, that is a huge, and morale is everything. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, that's a big mechanic to remember for your, if you're doing those. So I thought it was funny. Um, I thought I'd point that out that they did a video that we had been talking about. <laughs> Uh, other than that, the Monty Cook Kickstarter wrapped up. I know this is one that you actually um, have backed. So yeah. did you not back it? Cool. I didn't on this one because you said something when we were talking about in the, in the show. When it first came out, I was excited, but they hadn't listed what the other PDFs were. like. What, yeah. Because they did this Kickstarter differently, like you said, was that there were going to be stretch goals that were more books, not just mm-hmm little things but like a full-on new book and then i was like well how do i know which one i want and then everything went by so fast i never actually jumped back in there the nice thing about kickstarters like this i was just on their page earlier it looks like you still can get in on things even if the kickstarter's done it feels like you can still get pledges or you can still purchase things at certain prices maybe some of the things are gone like some of the discount steps that you could do but it feels like you still can participate in some way or even still get the books and the PDFs. Now that you can see that the full Kickstarter is done. Yeah. I think the PDFs will at least be available. Um, And so that's why like uh, you were asking me before we started the show, like, did you change your pledge to get any of those extra books? And I didn't, I just got the core main arcana of the ancients book. Um, Because that's the one I was interested in, and the rest of them are like some of them are monster manuals and other things that they were they were pushing. But uh, I feel like I could get those later as a PDF, and I don't necessarily need the the hardback book of it, which is what I wanted. But there was a tier in his Kickstarter that I think was like sixty dollars, and it was sixty dollars, and you get every PDF. And I was like, that's a pretty good deal. To I get like that. yeah, and that was yeah, like yeah. if you were interested in in just the content, then you could have gotten every PDF for sixty bucks or something. So, yeah, and as I'm looking at it right now, they their hundred K got them the Beast of Flesh and Steel, hundred thirty five got a new adventure added, mm-hmm. um, the one eighty five was the Deluxe Core Buck Unlock, 
more arcane of the ancients beneath the monolith was um, another adventure, another new adventure. So like a lot of these adventure books um, or um, campaign setting kind of books using the Numenera kind of world stuff. So there was a bunch in there and they did, I think they crushed all of their um, everything they had. So they got up to a total of like 500,000, like half a million or something. Yeah, and so their last stretch goal was 500k. So they got everything they were looking for, which is how Monty Cook does things. They it, like they'll do this print, and if they ever want to do a reprint, they'll do another Kickstarter, and that's how they kind of do their books, just so they're only printing out what's needed. And uh, the books are high quality. The artwork mm-hmm. is fantastic. They're a professional group of RPG makers. I love the stuff they're putting together, and it's great that it's 5e because I mean, me and you are playing a ton of 5e right yeah. now, and. We can't ever get enough 5e books. I think that's why, I think, well, and we talked about this before, but it's their dip into 5e. Like, why why try and make more Numenera content when we have all of this uh, intellectual property that we could then use for, like, literally the most popular role-playing game out right now? And mm-hmm. we'll just make a supplement for that. And I was like, yeah, that it makes a lot of sense. So I'm excited. Um, I was, yeah, I, I'm really, really excited for just more sci-fi options in D&D 5e. So, because mm-hmm. obviously that's my game of choice. I play that quite a yeah. bit. <laughs> I'm still waiting for you to do a Spelljammer game. And oh man, wouldn't the new Monera stuff fit so it good would. in the Spelljammer stuff? It would help. It would be that awesome. That would be really good. <laughs> um, I want to do more Spelljammer videos. I was actually working on some videos this morning and I'm like, I need to like dive into Spelljammer again. Cause yeah. um, the one video I made of the different, uh, planets in the Faerun crystal sphere or the forgotten mm-hmm. realms crystal sphere uh, a lot of people liked that video and i was like oh well Spelljammer's is a little more popular than i thought it was maybe i'll make some more Spelljammer videos so yeah, yeah you should gotta be watching matt coville's the chain because in it not that it's a Spelljammer um campaign he has a mind flayer ship and he's used the artwork from a spell jamming oh fun campaign somewhere and now somebody has 3d printed him a full size to sit on the table oh um, wow <laughs> yep that is the the full on mind flayer ship, and it is super cool looking. So that is um, awesome. They've been doing some really good stuff over on that. If you haven't caught their uh, campaign yet, the, the Colville campaign is really good. But other than that, um, we had talked a couple shows ago, and maybe even a little bit last show. And I just thought I'd bring it around again. We were excited that the Ac Inc. show that was happening at Pax East was it? No, it was Pax. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Pax East. That's right. Yeah, yeah. the one in Boston. Um, that one that we had we'd heard that the game went really good with the acquisitions incorporated uh live show but we hadn't really seen what it was yet what was on uh, i saw it show up finally on the youtubes at this point and i started watching a little bit of it and just even the first part of it was really good as the start of the the whole episode is them getting spit out of a worm butt so that's just how (laughs) it goes right from there um it gets crazy with jeremy crawford being the gm for that and um it's pretty good. There's a, it's a pretty fun episode, and I haven't got through it all yet, but I'm waiting to get to the big thing that happens at the mm-hmm. end. So it's supposed to be pretty pretty fantastic. So you can find that out there. We're seeing more information about the Acquisitions, Inc. book for 5e, and that one has me super excited. I can't wait to buy this book. Um, I know you're excited about the Saltmarsh book, so it's just a good time here in April as the snows are starting to melt away, the warm weathers are starting to come back. But that's still a good time for D and D players. Cause we still are going to be playing even and if it is that acquisitions in court, like salt marsh comes out in may. Right. Right. Um, but I think the acquisitions incorporated book doesn't come out till June or July. 
June. 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 Yeah, yeah, I okay. think it's a June one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I pre-ordered it on Penny Arcade's website because I really wanted the uh, the pin that they mm-hmm. it comes with a free pin, and That's I was right. like, and then I saw like how its price on on Amazon typically is cheaper. And so I was just like, Jordan, you're paying like an extra $15 just for this pin. But I was like, ah, but I really want the pin. So I went through the Penny Arcade yeah. store and got the pin because I want to add it to my dice bag um, yeah. with all, I want to like load this thing up with pins, which I was talking to Celeste uh, from the Venture Maidens. And she's like, you need a Venture Maiden pin. And I was like, well, bring one to Gen Con and I'll, I'll <laughs> trade you a Saturday morning D&D show pin for one. It'll be awesome. That's right. Last year we gave around for those of you fans that caught up with with Jordan, saw him walking around the show floor. They were lucky enough to get a pin that he gave out. To yeah, people. which I'll have more for this next Gen Con as well. Yeah. So, yeah, bring those sharpies because I hear he wants to sign people's foreheads for yeah, some reason. No, just, <laughs> no, please no. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. So really, in reality, even though we just talked about that for you know sixteen minutes or so. It was a slow week of news. I think they're getting everything set up for the big streams that are coming. Mm-hmm. Everybody's shows are either kind of, it feels like we're in this wrapping down of the shows that started near January. And they're the shorter campaigns that maybe have run for a couple of months, but now they're getting ramped up to start the new campaigns of stuff. If you've seen on a lot of the other Twitch shows, it seems like they're they're kind of in that transition to move around from shows. Um, or storylines are starting to end and a new storyline starting to pick up or a new mm. chapter, however they, they do them. So it's all feels like this good, fresh thing that's happening um, in the community right now. So yeah. we'll, we'll keep our eyes out. If we see anything else news wise, we'll keep you guys informed. <laughs> we will. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So other than news, we, I played a lot of games and I think you played yeah. a lot of games. So what yeah. have you been doing in the world of Dungeons and Dragons? Well, this was another player week, so I didn't I didn't run a game this week. I did, I did a player because I want to feel out my new schedule of all the games I'm playing at the moment. Um, so that was cool. So this is player Lucian for today's episode. And Wednesday night we played our first um, Tomb of Annihilation session. Where uh, um, and it's funny, both GMs in my Wednesday and Thursday games are from Australia. So I'm I have two <laughs> Australian GMs. What time is was, it for them to play? Like is it early? Well, it's in the like morning? in the in the afternoon for them. Oh, so okay. it was like so like yeah, there's somewhere anywhere from 12 to 14 hours difference depending on where they are. And uh so it fits just almost like, you know, look at your clock and it's like, oh, it's 12:18 at night there. Um and it was really so that's the running joke now is for me to get a game to play in I have to go find Australian GMs. But <laughs> it's cool because they're really good. And the, the cool thing is um the Wednesday game is Tomb Annihilation. It gets I get to pick up again where one of my campaigns that I was playing in over on a Narcissus channel had ended, mm-hmm. and we hadn't quite got through the whole thing. And in, as you know, even me, um, if you play some of the Wizards of the Coast adventures, these books can span a couple of years of gameplay, really. I mean, you can take Tomb of Annihilation on, and it could take you two years to really complete it. It could take you, Storm King's Thunder could go for two years easy. Some of these ones are pretty big. So there's no dig at, you know, not completing. But I was a little sad that I didn't get to go through. We didn't even actually get into the tomb at that point. Yeah. So we didn't get to the Tomb of Annihilation. We did all the jungle stuff before that. And I won't spoil it too much for those of you who haven't played it yet. Um, so this new campaign, I jumped right on when they said, we're going to start up Tomb of Annihilation and we're going to fast track our way to the tomb to get to that portion of the campaign. We'll start at sixth level and we'll get our characters going and everything. So over the, the past two weeks, I've been getting a sixth level war mage going. We talked a little bit about last week. Um, I love 
starting characters at this fifth and actually even sixth level seems mm-hmm. so good because you get all of the signature things you need typically to feel like the character you think you're making, right? So at first level, you might be saying, I have this cool character concept that eventually this this character is going to be like an Iron Man character, right? We'll take one of your old your old styles back from the day. But at first level, it doesn't quite feel like Iron Man yet, right? You got to have yeah. a few of these abilities before you kind of finesse it into, now it can kind of feel like this Iron Man kind of cool thing. Well, six level feels like that area for me. It's just that perfect. I've got everything I need to make this War Mage. So I've got this really cool War Mage concept going on straight out of Xanther's Guide. The group is really good, but this is definitely a group of all the players are min-maxers. All <laughs> the players um, are number crunchers, and all of the players took a bunch of time making sure they were thinking about synergy between the abilities of the other players in the group. So this group is like totally twinking it out, right? So this is like full on. So I, I, I feel sorry for the GM because I know as a GM, when you get your twink characters in there, it just blows up all of your encounter. Like if you try to do a CR rating with this group, it won't work. Yeah. You better just double the CR for this group because they are they're looking at every type of buff and debuff and, and how it synergizes with something else. And somebody puts a fire on one thing first so that this other person gets more damage because anything that's on fire does more damage type thing. And so they're just looking at it that way. But they're a fun group it's, and they're really good role players. They're all friends of mine. And uh, we're having a really good time with this game. The question I had out of it, because I've been having so much fun for Jordan what is that best spot for you? Because you play a lot of characters right now, a lot of different campaigns, one shots and everything. Mm-hmm. Where's the funnest starting point for a character when you're a player first? So as a player, what's the spot you like to make your character at? Well, so there's something to be said for, okay, I'll, I'll give you, so, okay. So starting at level one is, awesome because you get more attached to that character as he's leveling up and you get to like kind of see what's happening to him and then also Mm -hmm. there's a chance of getting magic items that could also augment like what your character is doing but if i i think my favorite is starting at level five because level five feels like Mm -hmm. uh a i'm not going to die in one hit um, not that you die in one hit at like level three and four but like one and two it's it's pretty spooky and touch and go whether you're going to survive or not um but i like level five and then also i think just getting extra attack your cantrips are a little more powerful and and things like that everything just kind of seems to to mesh well for having a themed character at level five Mm -hmm. and so uh and if i can be in a game where they're just like you're going to start at fifth level and you get one like uncommon or common magic item to be like, this is what you found in the past. That's my favorite. Cause then I can like, not only can I make a themed character, I can have a piece of equipment that kind of augments that theme as well. Like mm-hmm. if I wanted to do, um, I think I wanted to do like a, uh, you want um, sorcerer who had like a, a Python staff that could turn into a snake or something. And so it's like that magic item could really augment the rest of your character. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I don't know. For me, it's fifth level. Um, but I lately I've been wanting to play like tenth level stuff because I don't realize that I haven't. I think <laughs> because my my Warforge Eldritch Knight is almost he's almost level nine, but <laughs> we're getting to that point where I'm like, no, I think I want to try like tougher monsters and have more abilities and things like that. But uh, the one game that I played where we started at tenth level, I played a wizard, 
a gnome wizard and I was so confused as to what my character could do because he almost had too much. So that mm-hmm. kind of brings it full circle going back. I think level five is the sweet spot for me. Um, yeah, yeah. And level one feels like you're learning D&D and Jordan mm-hmm. knows how to play D&D. So I want to play level five. And case yeah. in point, like I just finished the Mistress of Modules game last Sunday and I was a level four uh, Fey warlock. And I wanted to be level five so bad because I'm like, all right, I fire Eldritch Blast. All right, I get one Eldritch Blast. I was like, I just really want to be able to like fire off two of these. <laughs> like, I wish we were level five, but it yeah. made sense for the game while we were level four. So, yeah. And I think my my agreement with all of that is perfect because it's the idea that I did some tenth level stuff where we started out, but to jump into a one shot, it's very clunky to figure out how that character works because, like you said, there's so much going on. Like I want to play from fifth and get to tenth because by then it's going to feel nice and organic. The character is going to feel good. I'm gonna I'm gonna know all the things that they normally do, but just throwing you in the deep end, or even think of like a fifteenth level character. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, make a fifteenth level. We're gonna play a one shot. That's gonna be really crazy. So yeah, I think I'm with you there. So let me flip it a little bit then. So what about as Jordan, the dungeon master? You've you've created a lot of games now. You've played with a lot of different your groups. Where's the sweet spot for starting your campaigns right now? Are you still leaning towards keeping them at one? Are you leaning them towards start them at three, which I see a lot of people do? Or you can start pushing for some of these higher level campaign starts. Um, boy, that's a good question. And I haven't really given that a ton of thought, but <laughs> I'm thinking back to my Hot Springs Island game. I didn't want to start them at level one. So I started them at level two. And then mm-hmm. by the end of that first session, they were level three. So I think that's that's if I have to run a game, I feel like level one is learning to play D and D and you're too fragile, but like having a game of level two and then instantly getting that ratification of going to three. Um, that's what I would do. Uh, yeah. unless I'm writing like a, a one shot, like my dragon on the Mount one shot, I think they started at level four, um, yeah. level three, level four, because it just kind of made sense to have that survivability. Um, but yeah, like I'm looking at stewing, uh, I'm looking at running, Ghosts of Saltmarsh or even uh, Tomb of Annihilation, maybe with my Sunday group, we're going to see if they are interested in that. And that starts at level one. But I think specifically, I'm going to say, no, we're just going to start at like level two, level three. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that's that's where. What about you? Like if you're running a game, are you starting them at level three or do you want high level stuff or. So I think I finally ran out my my need to have all the characters fairly lowish level as I began to learn the rules. So as you know, you've been in a lot of my one shots. Um, I've had a lot of people in the channel here have been in my one shots. Um, And I like to start in that range. I did ones and threes and maybe a little bit higher than that um, just because, but now that I feel really comfortable with understanding mechanics, I understand the rules really well. I'm, I'm pretty good about what the characters can do for the most part. I think now I'm starting to lean towards that one that you'd mentioned at the very beginning of the conversation, this idea of five plus one magic item kind of thing. I Mm -hmm. think that is the sweet spot for me right now to start some of these upcoming campaign ideas that I have. Um, And I think that's where I would want to start putting people because I want to start getting into that cool part of the monster manual. I want to start getting into that cool part of the CR area. Mm -hmm. And then eventually probably even start to move. I want to get into maybe a high level game of some sort at some point and maybe start us off at a, at a 15 or a 12 or 15 area to see what does a campaign look like 
when you're starting in that spot and then going on and look at that part of the monster manual, look at that part mm -hmm. of Mordecai's tome, Bolo's guide, all those things, because we don't get to those abilities. We don't get to see those character abilities right now. We don't get to see the monsters that fight those things. We don't get to bring out the big, big, bad dragon, you know, the really good ancient dragons. <laughs> we don't get any of that stuff when we're, when I'm always playing that, that low first to third to maybe fourth level. So I've got to break my bubble of staying in that third to five area. Um, as I play. So I want to make a push to maybe get some of that higher level stuff. I remember there, player, yeah, and I, I remember uh, Wizards of the Coast saying, I think it was, yeah, Wizards of the Coast, they did a survey and, and it was like, uh, this was, this was in an answer to people asking the questions like, why don't you make high level content? Like you're not making level 15 to 20 content. So we don't have the ability to play level 15 to 20, but they did a survey. And I think the majority of people, like there's so many, not the majority, sorry, let me go back. There are a lot of people out there that play D and D like, Hey, Lucian, do you want to play D and D? Let's make level four characters. We'll take them to level six through a mini campaign. And then we're done. Yeah. And so later on, it's like, then later on, somebody else says, hey, Jordan, do you want to play D&D? &D? And I grab my friends and we start at level five and we go to level seven and we're done. Yeah. Like not everybody plays level one to 20 or level, mm -hmm. you know, 10 to 20 or something like that. So that was kind of their argument for saying like, you know, we could make high level content, but it seems like a lot of people play uh, this way where they, they, they just kind of run like a two level campaign. Um, and also the catch 22 of that is a lot of people say like, well, people do that because you don't make high level content. So <laughs> if you're not making level 20 yeah. content, then that's the content that people are going to play. They're going to open up their tales of the awning portal, their ghosts of salt marsh, and they're going to play a level four adventure, you know? Right. So, well, I think in front loading it, I think, um, Lucian's opinion <laughs> is smart just because D and D still feels like the biggest game that's bringing in new players to the TTRPG scene. So we're talking yeah. about the players that have never played a single TTRPG out there, a tabletop role-playing game anywhere else. They've been hearing about it on, on media stuff. They've been hearing about it in pop culture. They've been hearing about it from their friends, their family or whatever, and they've decided this is the year they're going to jump into it. It's almost all of them are coming to D&D &D first because that's the thing that's out there. So it just makes sense that you don't throw a 20th level character at, you know, person who's brand new to Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing in general. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and I front loading it. And I think that's what happens is we start those campaigns and they last for a year or two, but that's the longest you can keep a running schedule of players going. Most of the time their schedules change. Mm -hmm. People have kids, stuff, different stuff happens. And now your group has to split up or change time. So you can bring in new people, but if you're going to bring in new people, you start thinking, well, why doesn't everybody just start characters at this level? Because we got the new people, that kind of thing. DM burnout happens. So you've been playing from five to seven, but now the campaign storyline kind of fizzles. Now what do yeah. you go? So, I mean, and you've got your characters to 10, your home group to 10, which is really good. I was like, that's pretty good. They went from one to 10, right? Yep. You got them from one to 10, but then. But that's taken little... like two years because of yeah. how infrequently we play. Like that's yeah. taken a long time to get them there. And yeah. going forward, I think I'm going to be a little more lax about when they level up um, mm -hmm. so that maybe they can get to 15 or 20 and we can try out some of that content. So. Cool. 
Cool. So yeah, I think that's that was just a question that popped up that made me think about where I like starting campaigns now because mm-hmm. that was our first session. It felt really good. The players are really getting into character. Everybody's doing funny, cool stuff, trying to figure out what their personality is going to be like. Um, we fought some just general undead in the jungle, which is always how you start out. Annihilation <laughs> is fighting some undead in the jungle, which is always good. Lots of jungle references. Lots of you know. Um, uh, 80s music running through our heads or Vietnam flashback kind of stuff or whatever when you're thinking about trying to trudge through the jungle and getting attacked or ambushed by stuff. So pretty fun. The game's pretty fun. Um, we did find some Chewingas. That's one of the best parts of Tomb Annihilation. If you don't know what that is, I won't spoil it because hopefully if you play Tomb Annihilation, you find out what a Chewinga is and you'll say, oh, that's why Lucian was super excited about it because Chewingas are super cool. Um, so we ran into that, which was fun. Other than that, Thursday night, then we turn around one more night later, and I play in our second episode of Horde of the Dragon Queen, which we've been playing. And uh, this is my second level gnome artificer. So I'm play testing the current rules for artificer. I'm going to go the artillerist route. Um, I was talking to Greybeard. He's playing in another campaign. He's going to go... He's got a little bit higher level one. He's going to do some artillerist stuff too. So I haven't seen too many people playing the alchemist one yet. Um, but the artillery that's the one I'm really interested fun. in is the alchemist. Yeah. I, I like that one a lot. I want to be a support uh, artificer. Yeah. So second level for first level, I wouldn't say you necessarily feel like an artificer yet. You don't, you feel more like a generic hero at that point. You've got a little bit of magic going on. You've got a little bit of ability starting, but you don't really, you're kind of in the middle of things and you feel really wishy-washy to me. Like you're not leaning one way or the other on the iconic scale. Like if, if you're a ranger and you have a bow and a pet, that stuff comes pretty early on. Or, you know, it feels like those other classes where you're waiting for that that third level drop of an ability to really make you feel like, okay, I'm choosing my divinity or I'm choosing, you know, um, my next fighter class, or I'm choosing what type of thief I'm going to be. It's at that third level where really mm-hmm. some of those, some of the classes are at second level, some are at third level, some start at first level. They have a, a big mixture of artificers at third where that drops, but second level, you get a cool ability called infuse items. Um, and that's really cool. Replicating magic items and doing little things with infusions. You get the feel. This was the first session where I got the nice artificer feel. So right at second level, I'm already starting to feel different than the clerics and the fighters and the thieves and all the other, the warlocks and whatever in my party. I feel like an artificer is different than them. So that was really cool. So once I hit second level, that felt good. That felt refreshing to me. Um, The other thing I liked a lot is that eventually you're going to start to have so many different options. I could see where people could start to get, um, like if you're the type of person that is presented with too many options, you kind of shut down. This is going to be a class. I think eventually you'll have a little bit of that. Um, So if you don't want a class that you have to make a lot of choices and decisions, you might steer clear of Artificer because there's a lot going on. You're, You're talking about what spells you're going to do. You're talking about your infusions. You're talking about, your turrets and all your abilities you get with that. And there's a lot of stuff you're trying to think and decide on as you go Um, and redoing your spells every day, that kind of stuff. So it's definitely for those people that like lots of options, Mm -hmm. keep that in mind. I liked it. Now, the one thing that I thought was funny about this session, I was going to bring up the thing that made me think, okay, we got to talk about on the Saturday morning D and D show. Um, So this campaign is a brand new DM 
with all veteran players. Okay. So the one thing that happens right away with all veteran players is they can quickly get ahead of a DM or, or do things that have that kind of take the DM off foot quickly. Um, like when we were, there was a group of bad guys coming up and our group came up and tried to bluff our way immediately in through talking. And we're really good about, because these are veteran players about how they were coming up with um, how to talk or make it sound like we were cultists. We were wearing the cultist garb. And so we jumped right into it, but he's being a new DM doesn't have the improv skills yet to keep up with the speed or pace of veteran players just slinging stuff out there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just like really being on top of their, their character dialogue. <clears throat> and I know the hardest thing for a brand new dungeon master is the NPC dialogue and keeping it straight, keeping things going and being able to react and understand or get information across to your players. So I thought it was funny. Have you played in for Jordan? When you played your game, you were always <clears throat> Are, as the GM, were you always the most knowledgeable in the game, in the groups that you ran? Or have you ever ran a group that was more knowledgeable than you in the game? Um, I haven't ran a group where people are more knowledgeable than me just because uh, it came back to when Jordan wanted to play D&D, he realized that if he wanted to play, nobody else was going to be the DM because nobody else was as interested in it as I was. So Mm -hmm. if I wanted to play this game, I was going to have to run this game and I was going to have to, and I like going into the the rules and really understanding them and stuff. Uh, But no, so it would be, it would be, interesting and i hopefully will get into a game at gen con or something where i can actually play with some other people that uh know the game a little bit more but no so now maybe i take that back because i went to uh adventure league quite a bit and those people had very um for example i think it's a pathfinder rule and it's an alternate rule in dnd 5e but if you go sideways with your movement on a grid so going forward and backwards and left and right, that's five feet. But if you go sideways, that's five. And then it's 10 feet uh, or 15 feet. So it goes five feet for the first move. And then another, if you go another diagonal, it's an extra five feet. So it takes, so you go five, 15, 20, 30. Does that make sense? Like you kind of yeah, add cause the diagonal. Yeah works out mathematically to be slightly more than right and so they do that to hinder people from like abusing going sideways in a in combat um and i uh that was the first time i had ever heard of it and that was one of those things like everybody at the table agreed like no this is how you do it and you're playing wrong and i'm like i have never played like this just like five feet (laughs) is five feet so um that happens. I don't think that answered your question, but like, that's something that yeah. popped into my mind. But well, and the reason it was kind of a trick question. Cause I kind of knew the answer. So it was like, I, I was going to let you get it out, but me too. Like I, I was a DM for fifth edition. And although the players I gathered together had played dungeons and dragons before they had not played fifth edition. So everything I've done as the dungeon master, I've kind of been the one that's known the most about the rules, not everything, but like I knew more or enough. And that's why you're the dun or that's sometimes why we're the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. But I forget now, and me and you do, we give tips to new dungeon masters that are out there. It is very possible in this day and age for a group of veteran players to say, Hey, we'd like really like to play dungeons and dragons. Let's find somebody to, to be the run it. And then somebody volunteers and they're newer. 
right? Yeah. So they're going to be a kind of a newish to being a DM, but yet all their players are veterans. All their players have been playing characters. All their players have all this stuff. That's a very different set of tips and tricks you're going to give to that GM than you give to the ones that were like us, where we were the we were the main people gathering people around. We knew a little bit more about the game than them. We were going to be teaching the game to them. And they had to learn their player stuff, but we kind of knew the other stuff. Um, and I realized that maybe there's a deficiency out there in talking to those GMs and those dungeon masters who have a veteran group, but they're not the veterans. Because yeah. I bet that's a little bit different on what you well, want to do. Well, and it's intimidating too. My I have three players in my Sunday group that have expressed interest in being a dungeon master, but they don't want me to play in their game. Oh. Um, and it's not because they don't like me or anything like that. It's just like they're so worried that they're going to get a rule wrong and Jordan will be there to correct them. Even though I very specifically said, I'm like, it's your game. If you decide that goblins can fly, goblins can fly. If you decide yeah. that they have four opportunity attacks, they have four opportunity yeah. attacks. Like it doesn't matter to me. Um, I'm not going to be the guy that stops you and say, um, actually, you know, like it, that's not how I play. But regardless of that they're still very intimidated by it um because they mm -hmm. just know that jordan understands the rules on a level that they have not dived into yet uh so there's that <laughs> yeah and so that's what happened in this game so the the he's uh our, our dungeon master for the second game is brand new it's the first time he's running a game he's been playing in some of the other games like in fact he's been playing on indoor adventures channels been playing some games i think he's going to run another he's got dm another um game on their channel coming up but he is new so he is learning it mm -hmm. he's like uh, he makes the he makes a lot of comments like hmm I never have to think about this when I'm playing the game normally. Like, yes, you know, and it's like, that's all perfectly normal. And so we can't, we ran into this very typical thing that happened in our session. Um, there are a couple of cultists at a campfire and there's some kobolds and, and our group finds them and tries to bluff our way into pretending we're cultists too, because we whooped the other cultists. We took their clothes, put them on, and we're trying to pretend to be cultists so we can find out what's going on. The, the, the very typical Trojan horse, go in and find information, pretend to be the enemy, get information kind of tactic. And so in his mind, though, as a new GM, I think he thought we were going to sneak up and fight this group because that's what we had done in the other one. He wasn't quite ready or prepared for a big drawn out discussion of bluffing and and trying to fit in and like this big rp session part of it i think he was ready for a battle so that threw him off a tiny bit but then he you know he recovered and he was he he sent the kobolds off and then the cultists he decided well i think he wanted it to be a fight so the kobolds come back they sneak back up and they start a fight so we're fighting the kobolds and he sends the he wants to make these two cultists run away so we can't get any more information from so mm -hmm. i'm thinking in my mind in two points one on my turn i'm thinking okay what's my character supposed to be doing how do i play my personality my character but the second thing is i'm analyzing how he's playing the game and i'm thinking what would i be doing if i'm a gm and i'm thinking okay this makes sense like i'm not ready for them to learn too much about the cultist plan so i need to get the cultists away from them so they don't get too much information, right? So mm -hmm. something has to happen there. So rightfully, he has an attack happen, and the two cultists are going to run away. What he doesn't plan on is one of the players decides, well, I'm chasing after him. I'm not letting them get away. So it's this point of the GM wants something to happen narratively so that we can just get them off scene. Yeah. But the player's chasing them so they can't get off scene. 
So then there's these, he's like, well, he's going to keep running. He's going to keep running. And he's getting kind of hit and pinged a little bit of damage. And he's like, well, I'll dash. But he realizes that all the spell ranges are so long that dashing's not going to get this guy away. He's going to die too soon or he's going to get captured or whatever. And so, and it's all theater of the mind. And so we're just having to ask him, so where's this guy now? He's, well, now he's 70 feet from you. Okay, I cast this. He's like, okay, he dashes again. Now he's this far from you. And he's like, but we're still hitting him. We're still pinging yeah. him or whatever. And he's finally like, well, he turns a corner and you can't see him. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that was the quintessential. And I've been in that position and I was laughing on the inside of the DM who's just like, damn you players, let me do what I want to do. Yeah. Stop messing with me. <laughs> That's it. I put a corner in there. You can't see him anymore. So the player continues to go up to the corner, forces the issue, and he's like, that's it, fine. When you come around the corner, there's a whole new big group of things that you just ran into, and they see you. Mm -hmm. And there's no going to be bluffing here. We're not even going to roll for bluffing. This is it. You want to chase that person, I'm going to show you what happens when you chase that person. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking I've done that same thing where I've introduced something that, and I wanted it to go a certain way in the session. Maybe it's to give some information. Maybe it's to set the scene a little bit, but then the players take and run with it a different way that I wasn't ready for. And now I'm just trying to get it away. Like, don't focus on the wagon, guys. I just put the wagon on the side of the road because I thought it would be cool while describing the scene of you're going down the road. There's a wagon and a farmer. There's stuff on this side, this side. It's nothing. It's fluff to make you think, hey, we're in the countryside and we're going down the road let's check the wagon. Let's search the wagon, pull up the boards of the wagon. There's gotta be something hidden here because in their mind, the DM doesn't put anything in front of them that they're not supposed to investigate. (laughs) So that was that moment. I was just kind of laughing a little bit. So now to bring that all around, the one thing I noticed about that is quickly theater of the mind got out of hand, right? So it starts out with a very easy to probably keep in everybody's mind. There's a fire pit, There's some people around the fire. A fight breaks out. Everybody's fairly close. Maybe some people are moving this or that way, but no big deal. And I don't think he's ever had trouble of dealing it. But all of a sudden, it turns into a complex battle because you have several people running 300, 400, 500 feet off and then turning a corner of some sort. You've got kobolds that are on different angles firing from different spots. He's having to try to remember where these things are. And we're constantly asking him, how far are things? Because we have spells or abilities that are very specific. I can't throw my hammer and and get disadvantaged unless I'm only 20 feet away because after that, I got to roll a disadvantage. So it's very important for me to know exactly where things are so I'm not getting advantage or disadvantage. And all these players are playing that same way. They want to know how far are things. So he's getting really confused all of a sudden. Now, do you think that's because you are used to that and that's how you play is is with a map and grid? Because I was like, you could easily give him a bunch of players that are used to theater of the mind that might not be asking those specific questions. Like, well, I know that my spell is 120 feet. I need to know, is he within 80 or, or 130 feet, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for sure for me, because I'm such a huge tactical map person, but it's because I'm also trying to fine tune the different ability. And I'm really concerned about, do I get advantage or not advantage and where are things? And I just think he wasn't prepared to try to keep in your mind where the spots of everything was. Because in theater of the mind, you don't have to have a grid, but you do need one thing. You do need to know the distances, right? And so a trick I have done with theater of the mind, and I, and I was going to ask you how you do this, because I know you do theater of the mind stuff, 
is even though I won't have a map as a dungeon master, when I have my, my sheet where I'm marking down at a table or I'm doing a theater of the mind style and I have the hit points marked down of the creatures they're fighting, I usually have them in a line so I can just mark them off with a pencil type thing. Mm -hmm. What I will do is I will pick one of the players who's at the top of the initiative and I draw a circle and I put their initials on my piece of paper. And then from there, as the battle goes on, I, I just mark with a line and an arrow this person, another circle and in initials, is is 20 feet away from that person. So at, at a glance, it's more like a linear thing that just shows me distance from this thing and this thing, A to B. And I can look at all these different little things without drawing a map out, without trying to remember anything else. But now I can say, okay, this person's exactly 35 feet. Then they dash, so that's another 60. So now he's 95 feet. And I have that just written in a line on my piece of paper notes so I can keep track of because if I don't, my rangers, my people who have those long hitting spells aren't getting all of the stuff that they need or all of the advantages that they have of being a very long range person. Or we start to get into, well, are they within five feet because I want to use my reaction to do a sentinel? Or I want to do this, or I want to do that. How close am I to this person? How close am I to that? There's so many rules about spacing in Dungeons and Dragons. I feel like you have to be really good about knowing where things are you don't need a map to show it but you need to know how many feet are between one thing and another i think, I think but what, i what disagree you? only because okay. you're you're so like you even said that you guys are min maxing your characters and you're you're making these really awesome stuff like so you need to know what is and what isn't within five feet of you where a lot of people just play and i don't i don't like sometimes i'll jot down a little map in my in the corner of my paper so i can be like okay no they're here and just so i don't forget about this guy to the north that's hiding in the bushes that's mm -hmm. going to attack you on round two or something like that. But for the most part, I feel like you can just say, you know, like, like as a, as a perfect example is we were doing theater of the mind and I said, Hey, I want to use uh, fairy fire. It hits everybody within a 20 foot cube. Can I, can I hit it so that I don't hit my ally, but I hit the four cultists and the GM was like, no, because in her mind, she's just like, no, you can hit them all. I'm like, all right, then I hit all of them. And like, you can make split second decisions like that in your mind. You're just like, no, I'm not going to allow you to do that. Or yeah. Whereas if, if we're playing on a grid, you can, there's no arguing with the DM, I guess, uh, because you could say like, no, I can finagle the spot where I cast a spell here so that I only hit mm -hmm. those guys and I don't yeah. hit my ally. And so I don't know, like going back to the cultists are running away. And like how how we need to know how far they are. Um, how Jordan would read that is say the cultists run away into the woods. I'm assuming there's woods. I don't know. I just kind of pictures that in my mind. But mm -hmm. they're they're 50 feet, 60 feet away. And you're like, well, I can can I the the player should be asking like not how far they are, but can I see them? Where right. are they going? Kind of a thing. And, and I shouldn't say the player should ask that because everybody can play however they want to play. There's no wrong way to play. But in that mm -hmm. instance, I would say roll a perception check. Yes, you can still see them, but they're hidden by the trees. They have a plus three AC. Do you still want to fire your bow? Yes. Okay, you fire your bow. He's actually slow now because you got him in the leg. And so, he's you know, like, do you, does the DM want yeah. to allow the players to catch up with these or do you want to create a situations where the cultists can get away and they might yeah. chase them and then you yeah. create and there's rules for for doing chases and things like that but but uh i would i would not say that a dm has to know exactly 
how far things are from everything else because you can play a theater of the mind game where you know not to like not to poo poo on your entire argument no but i think no, it's no. Yeah. i think it's uh it's good to remember that you are very crunchy and you like a table and you this is how you're used to playing and so mm-hmm. when you're used to playing like that you want to know is that guy 60 feet away or not because i yeah. i need to know if my arrow can hit him so yeah. without disadvantage and i think what was what's interesting about what you said is a advanced dungeon master's way of handling that whereas the beginning dungeon master because none of that what you just said is written Correct. in the player's handbook or the dungeon master's guide they don't even know that that's because that's how i would have handled it like if i want the cultists to run away i would have said they got 20 feet in the woods and you can't see them like, yeah it's, exactly it's bushes it's dark there's all kinds of stuff going on you might be able to track them but that was that would be the way but i think that's like that's us as veteran dungeon masters True. knowing how to handle a situation that we want to go a certain way. Or like you said, if you're going to run theater of the mind, I think we all agree when we like that style and we all start that way, that it's going to be a little wishy-washy, right? It's just going to be a, Hey, can I get a, I want to do a fairy fire on all of the bad guys. And the DM's going to go, well, you probably can get three, but not five. Yeah. You, you can probably get three of them all. They're close enough. And then we're all just like, okay, we'll go with that. And, and nobody's really concerned so much about, mm-hmm. but you've got to be ready to answer that kind of thing just off. And we all have to, to suspend some reality, which we do because we're playing elves and dragonborns and <laughs> you know, whatever we're, we're suspending reality as we go. Um, and I just feel like, and you are absolutely like, I am super biased because I am a very tactical player and I and run I my game. Very I, so I, I I love a grid. That. I do not. I prefer a grid <laughs> over theater of the mind because I too like to know when I am within five feet of an enemy with an ally, so I can use sentinel and I can use all of this stuff. Or like my my warforge eldritch knight. Like I'm all about shoving things ten feet and pulling things ten feet and shoving it. Yeah. You know, making it prone and things like that. Like I wanted. I want to know those conditions are applied, and I want to be able to look at the grid and say I did this. You know, and so yeah. Well, speaking of those cool things you want to do, what did Jordan do in gameplay this week? What were you doing? What were you running? What were you playing? So I played uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, which was a lot of fun. And that's a whole thing that maybe I'll talk about next week because I'm really curious how this Tuesday's game is going to go. But short, <laughs> in short, and what we'll kind of talk about next week is like when playing, basically I have two players, one player specifically that loves Dungeon Crawl Classics. And he he was telling me, uh, he was like, I love it almost as much as D&D. Like, I think this is just the one that went out and bought the book already. And yeah, yeah. Okay. He's really all about it. And the other Mm -hmm. ones are kind of wishy-washy on it. And then at the end of the night, one of my, one of these wishy-washy players was just flat out like, I don't think I would play a long campaign of this. Like, it's fine for the one shots that we're doing. But like, if you were going to say, hey, we're going to play like an eight month campaign of dcc he's like i'm out i don't like it and mm-hmm. so and i i, I guess i that. tease that but i want to talk about that a little bit later like uh or maybe we'll maybe we can just talk about it right now and i'll, I'll got time. yeah yeah okay so i've got another topic but we'll talk about that for later um but what do you do when your player when your your players don't get the same enjoyment out of a game that you do like jordan like takes uh, and I guess I've been really fortunate because I did uh, my kids on bikes game with my other group and they loved it. 
Um, but like, what do you get when you're just like, Hey guys, like Jordan loves Dungeon Recall classics, but I can't find those like-minded people. And I put this question out on Twitter and I had a lot of people say like, you know, don't force a player to like a game, like, like Mm -hmm. Dungeon Crawl classics isn't for everybody, but it got me thinking because one of my, one of my players was kind of like, well, I've never played this game before. And I I was looking at him like, well, it's, it's a lot like D and D, you know, you roll a D 20 to hit when you hit, you roll damage. If you do enough damage, you kill the guy. Like that's the mm-hmm. basics of D and D and that's the basics of DCC. So it's not that different. Um, but, but they were kind of under the, not under the impression, but like we're almost fighting me that they're like, but it is a different game and things like that. And uh, one of my players pointed out that uh, dungeon, and I was going to see if you agree with this, but dungeons and dragons has roughly a 60% success ratio. Like you are more likely to succeed to hit to do a skill, to do uh, whatever you need to roll a d20 for, you are 60% likely to succeed over the course of like average rolls, you know? Like sometimes you might have an 80% success rate, sometimes it might be a 40%, but for the most part, you're encouraged to win. Whereas mm-hmm. Dungeon Crawl Classics really feels like a 50% win ratio. Like it is, it is up to luck. And I think that's what my players really didn't like about it, is that so much of the game was about luck um, but we were talking that it's almost kind of like gambling in a way. And I'm not a gambler, but I guess mm-hmm. I can understand why people do gamble because that when you have a 40% chance of succeeding and you roll that natural 20 to do extra damage and to kill the character, to kill the end boss, that feels so much more rewarding than hitting with your plus 11 Eldritch Blast, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think back to my Warforged Eldritch Knight He's got a plus 10 to hit right now. Next level, when I turn nine, my proficiency goes up. I have a plus 11 to my sword attacks. And that boggles my mind where I'm like, I can hit everything. Like I very Mm -hmm. rarely miss at this level. Earlier on, I missed quite a bit. But now that I'm level nine, like I'm just Mm -hmm. not going to miss very often. Whereas Dungeon Crawl Classics, I feel, keeps you on your toes. And maybe it also is a, I'm kind of stream of consciousness right now, but maybe it also is a dungeon master thing where the two players that didn't really care for DCC have never been dungeon masters. And I'm like, you've never been in that situation where you get a really awesome group of monsters and you are like, this is going to annihilate or this not annihilate, but like, this is going to really test my players. And then they just walk all over it because it's the (laughs) easiest encounter ever because yeah. players are really powerful in, in Dungeons and Dragons. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's where I was going with it. So the two things you said there that I, I thought immediately. So number one, you back up to the biggest statement ever on the show. I think the number one killer of campaigns is exactly there's a lot of interest in a certain subject from a dungeon master, but he's not getting, he or she is not getting the buy-in or the, the same amount of energy and excitement from the players. They're just not into... Yeah your i want to do dirgibles and steampunk and all this stuff and they're like no no dude we want elves and gnomes and lord of the rings mm-hmm. we don't want that so when that starts to happen or the dungeon master wants to do something new but the players want to continue with what they've had campaigns can end if there's some type of um not friction but there's just not a connection between the two of we both want to do these same things. I think that's the part where campaigns struggle. So if you're ever in a part where you think your campaign's struggling, I bet it's because of that. It's either your energy level for continuing on where the storyline is isn't very high, but your players are, mm-hmm. or you are really into 
whatever this new thing is. And they're just like, I don't know. It's not, I don't really want to be in a city. Can't we go out and adventure in a dungeon somewhere? Or can't we do a high seas adventure? Do we really need to stay in water deep, you know, for another month yeah. or, you know, whatever. And now that you I put it that way, like yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Cause if I had somebody who came up to me and was just like, Jordan call of Cthulhu, it's the yeah. best game ever. You <laughs> like dungeon crawl classics. It's super brutal like that. You're going to go insane. You're going to die. It's going to be amazing. And then we play it and I'm kind of like, you know, I just, I don't really care about Lovecraft. Like it's cool. It's like all it's right. fun. I'll play for a little bit, but, and so it's kind of the same thing, I think, yeah, yeah. but this is more of a mechanical setting as opposed right. to a, yep. a, a, a storyline setting, you know? So like, here's the like, second thing that I came up with as you were talking. So the second thing was it's the difference between playing superheroes and playing regular Joe. Mm-hmm. And I'm betting that player or those players that aren't enjoying it, they love the feeling of being superhero-ish power. We, in Dungeons 5e, Dungeons Dragons 5e, we gloss that over with swords and sorcery and spells. But the reality of it is you are a superhero Mm -hmm. in that world. You are a force to be reckoned with as a six-level whatever. I mean, you are a a ground-moving, shaking-type person. But in DCC, you're lucky to make it out of the funnel. (laughs) And if you did, you're still kind of just a farmer at that point with maybe one other thing. And so I'm betting, I think the people that lean towards, I like DC, DCC or MCC. I think it's the people that like to play the underdog, the people that like to play the normal person who gets thrown in crazy situations and what would happen. Mm -hmm. They're going to love that. But the people who want to be powerful and when they swing their sword, three things fall and my spell fires off into the distance yeah. and does this huge explosion, they're going to want Dungeons & Dragons 5e because that's exactly what it is. It's this, you get to be a hero and in DCC, you get to survive. Yep. <laughs> and I, that's one of the things I love about it is it's just so brutal. And and I yeah. think I like that so much. I love it that it was weird to me when they were just like, we don't like that at all. And I'm like, but it's, it, but it's brutal. Like, it's so, <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's just something raw about it. I was like, it's so yeah. good. And they were just like, no, Jordan, like, and specifically, uh, that we're talking about magic. If you roll, cause you roll a D 20 whenever you want to cast a spell. And if you mm-hmm. roll under an 11, 11 to one, you forget the spell for the day and it didn't happen. So oh, like boy. I try to cast magic missile and I roll a six, I don't cast magic missile. And on top of that, I've forgotten it and I can't cast it again. (laughs) And he, uh, but it trains you to be like, magic is not training. Well, yeah, it trains you. It helps you like learn the game that magic is really scarce and important. You're going to cast that spell when you absolutely need to cast that spell. You're not casting it to frivolously just be like, oh yeah, like there's not, let's use my, my prestidigitation to light a candle because magic is scary. Like why would I use magic to light a candle when I can just light it with a match? Like, no yeah. magic is scary. Like if I roll a one on that prestidigitation to light that candle, I could grow a third arm. Like this is mm-hmm. not cool, but he was coming from a D and D five E standpoint where he was rolling and it's just like, well, you lost your spell. And it's like, well, then what good am I if I can't cast spells? I'm like, that's what you kind of have to figure out. Like you need to use that spell, cast that spell when you most need it. Not when, not when you're just, you know, like, oh, we're fighting an orc. I better like cast my most damaging spell. Uh, But that was a weird concept for him. 
Yeah, yeah. I think another good analogy too for D&D 5e is so good about being very character, um, character driven and very over the top in some ways. It's kind of like watching anime versus <laughs> a cartoon. Okay. Right. They're both drawn in, in a certain way, but anime is like that bigger bombastic, that bigger things are happening. The, the, each character is super defined and very different from the others. And they have very, a lot of uniqueness amongst them. Whereas the other one is more of just like a regular old TV show and everybody's very similar and they might have one little thing that makes them different than everything else. But there's not a lot that makes you different than the other thing. And there's not a lot that makes you different from just a regular crowd of people. But D&D is so different in that way. They're, they're so good about the thief is very different than the fighter and the fighter is very different than the cleric and the cleric can be very different than the paladin. They're just bigger than life characters. They're superheroes with costumes. And when you go into a town or a village, they're the, the villagers look like villagers. None of your players play like a villager. Like now if we play Dungeons and Dragons 5e and all of us were villagers and we went around and did stuff, I think they would get that same thing. Mm. To me, DCC is you're a villager and you happen to be carrying a sword or you happen to be able to cast a spell or two, yeah. but that's it. You're a villager, hands down, your entire life. You are not going to be... <laughs> 105 hit pointed barbarian at that point you know it's just like and so i think that's i think there will be players that just don't get that now i like i said i love it i like the idea of playing mad max i like the idea of playing the underdog i like the idea that in dcc creatures are deadly a zombie yes. coming after that party is a very real thing a zombie kind of running at your D D 5e party i don't even think they care you know, like they're just like, eh, we can kill that. No big deal. Yeah. But there, I think the consequences, I think you're right about pointing out the, the success rates and the failure rates um, or even the survival aspect of it, like tracking foods and waters and dehydrations. And that mm. is a little bit bigger on some games than others. D&D gets glossed over quite a bit. And, um, and I just feel like you have your video game, you know, version. That's the, that's the, um, action shooter or the action rpg is dungeons and dragons 5e whereas dcc is the strategy game or the rts or the turn-based um strategy game where more realism is 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 more fun mm. and this is more about just you know diablo style loot explosion bloodbath killing everything around us and doing all that kind of stuff so I, it doesn't surprise me that you have one or two players that are like, I yeah. don't know if I'm into DCC. <laughs> so we'll we'll see what Tuesday is because uh, yeah. we're going to finish our sailors on the Starless Sea and then they're going to level up to, some of them will be level one, some of them will be level two. And then I think at level two, they'll start to feel like they're very, they're like, okay, we have enough hit points to survive a couple of hits kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, whereas right now they can pretty much get hit pretty quickly, so. <laughs> uh, we've gone over, so we're going to end our show there. Thank you yeah. guys so much for coming out to the Saturday morning D and D show and listening to us rant about, uh, games and news. Uh, if you, uh, would like to, we would very much appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, it helps get the show out there. It helps people find the show. Um, and it just, uh, would mean a lot to us. So if you don't mind doing that, think about that. And there are links in the doobly-doo on the, uh, 
I'll, you know, I'll put a link in the show notes as well as the YouTube comments and stuff like that. So if you guys are interested, that would be awesome. Um, anything else before we bounce out of here, sir? That's it. It was a great show. Had lots of stuff to talk about. I'm already excited for the upcoming week of game playing. It's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, next Sunday is Easter, so I'm not playing games. So I'll probably just have more Dungeon Crawl Classics to listen to or to rant about. So it'll be awesome. But anyway, we'll take care. Uh, take care, everybody. And we will see you next Saturday with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Goodbye. Bye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.